Hello and welcome back to another episode of Drama School Dropout. This week we are only two weeks away from the 100th episode, which is absolutely mad. It's episode 98 and as per usual, my name is Ingram Noble and I am your resident Drama School Dropout. And this week I am joined by an absolutely phenomenal actress who is an absolute trailblazer in this industry. Please welcome to the podcast, Annie Wallace. Drama school dropout, no graduation day for you. Drama school dropout, fucked your whole course, now try something new. Drama school dropout. Welcome to the podcast, how are you? I'm fine in this lovely little hot and sweaty day here in Manchester. <laughs> Do you know what? It, it's not too bad in Glasgow today. Like it. Oh, I think yeah. we've had our days of summer for the year. Mm. We, we've reached the quota. Um, I think I think there's this interesting band of rain that's kind of separating Scotland and England at the moment because yeah. we're trapped in this little heat box. You know what? Over 23 degrees and I start to wilt because I'm Scottish. Yeah. We're not, we're not used to it. We're not trained for the hot weather. <laughs> it's like... I always feel really silly when I'm like doing this podcast and somebody on from like LA's on and I'm like, it's so hot here. It's 20 degrees. And they're like, that, that's cold for us. And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, switch the aircon on. And I'm like, we don't have those in Britain. <laughs> aircon, I know. Well, actually, I do have an aircon in my bedroom. It's one of those portable ones. Yeah. Um, I invested in it. Uh, there was a bit of a heat wave in 2018. And yeah. I invested in it then. It's expensive. They're about, they're about 400 pounds. And I was like, this is this is too much. But, <laughs> but I'll tell you something. I've used it every single year to chill my bedroom down to a reasonable level. It's noisy, but I can sleep over white noise like that. Yeah. I just can't sleep when it's boiling hot. Mm. And it's bliss to walk into a cool bedroom. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm very jealous. I'm flying to London on Thursday because my mum lives down there and I was talking oh. to her this morning and I was like what's the weather what like what should I pack and she was like well it's currently like 28 degrees here and I was like okay so I'm probably just gonna stay at home but the thing about London is London can be only 22 degrees and it can still feel hot yeah because there's a there's a, there's a it's like a hot house effect in London mm. it, it's always different climate when I go down there um very humid as well. Yeah. Know. But anyway. let's weather everybody stick of, yeah. about <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm I'm genuinely so excited to have you on. I, I didn't realize how impactful you've been on the acting industry. Last year I had Nicole Barbalane as a guest. Oh, lovely and Nicole. We were talking about the the character of yours on East on Hollyoaks, sorry, not EastEnders. And we were talking about how you were sort of part of that whole inception of that character and how it was coming on. And then I went away and done more reading because I was just interested. And you were also a research assistant on Coronation Street. And yeah. you were part of the inception and you worked on and inspired the character of Hayley Cropper. So you've been like even back then when it wasn't as... 24 years ago. Yeah, like... <laughs> When it wasn't as accepted by people and stuff, and you were trailblazing. So, well, that's, do you want me to talk about that a little bit? For a little bit? Yeah. 100%. Okay, I'll, I'll be. I'll give you the potted version. The potted version is is that I transitioned a very long time ago, thirty two years ago, um, almost a completely different 
land and, and world. Um, and I had had quite a lucky transition. I blended in and I was getting on with my life and I was actually just living just living a very non-queer life, I have to say. Um, and I quite I was happy to do that because it's what I wanted. But also it was kind of by necessity because at that time in the 90s, trans people had very few rights. If, uh, if your employer or your landlord found out that you were trans, they could kick you out of a job or a house without having to give any particular reason. It would just be a case of, oh, well, no, of course, of course, you're not getting a job anymore. You're transsexual, as it was at the time. Yeah. And um, there was no protection for it. This sort of changed towards the end of the 90s a little bit. But then, of course, the big push was for the Gender Recognition Act, which only came in in 2004. And there was a group called Press for Change, who I got involved with in the late 90s, because I wanted to campaign for the legal rights, but to do it within the context of not, not secrecy, privacy, mm. uh, because of the dangers that existed. And I was able to lobby MPs and write to MPs and, and lawmakers and help them press for change to kind of effect change. And they were very influential because they talked in very plain terms. Coronation Street in 98 came up with this transgender character, uh, Hayley Patterson, as she was. Yeah. And I initially was repelled by the notion that a soap opera was going to start featuring uh, um, trans issues on primetime television because I thought well, it's obviously going to be done for sensationalist reasons and it's not going to be very good at all. And I didn't watch it for the first few weeks. And one of my friends said, you, you really should watch it. And I'm like, oh, why? It's like, because it's being done really well. And I was like, oh gosh, okay, okay. And then, so I turned it on and I was like, wow. And then Haley was just like I was like 10 years earlier, really nervous, head down, a bit geeky. I'm still a bit geeky. That's <laughs> um, fine. We're all allowed to be a bit geeky. I, I know, I know. Geeky's good. So, um, and I really just went for the story and it was, it was essentially, it's a love story more than anything else. Although it, it did highlight some trans issues, but it mostly mm. was a love, a, a love story between two awkward, socially inept people, which I really identified with. And then she went away um, because that was kind of the end of her um, time on Coronation Street or supposed to be. Uh, at which point Coronation Street contacted Press for Change and said, look, we're bringing back this character and we want to bring her back with full research information and help to make her a more real person. Because there had been some cliches in the first one. Yeah. Which I think you're always going to get that, especially even now. Yeah. unless you're sort of working with a group. I just happened to engage with public activism at a time when it was literally tipping in the right direction. Yeah. So, for example, um, Section 28 was repealed around about the same time as the Gender Recognition Act. So you're talking about a time, um, Labour government, mm -hmm. you're talking about a time when um, uh, support for the LGBT plus community had never been higher. Uh, and public support. It's really important to, 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 to see yeah. that. That character of Haley was, was instrumental in bringing about public support for trans people. Mm. Because what it did was it showed a trans person living an extremely ordinary life, just wanting a family and to get on and, and to kind of treat her transgenderism as something to, that happened and now she's kind of getting on.
Mm. Now, I know that a lot more people, and I've seen it more in young uh, than older, a lot of people are embracing their queer identities where it's like, okay, trans is for life. It's not just, a, it's not just something that you forget about. It's, yeah. it's part of me and I'm openly enjoying and celebrating it. And that's brave and wonderful. But for me, I was in the other section. And a lot of that was wrapped up in fear and a bit of shame as well, because we were kind of made to feel ashamed mm. of what we were. And Haley kind of brought to the public this notion of ordinariness. And actually, yeah. it doesn't matter if you walk down the street in outlandish clothing and makeup, we're still ordinary people. We're yeah. not the, the, the non-ordinary people are the people wanting to take rights away and to push up <laughs> barriers. They're the bizarre people. We're looking um, at you, Westminster. Yes, looking at you right right now, Westminster. Yeah. We're, we're looking at the absolute shit show of the it's, lifetime going on right it's now. It's terrifying. Imagine that most of the candidates in the in the leadership election have have openly and loudly declared to be anti-trans. Mm. It's it's actually breathtaking that we can be talking about that um, nearly twenty years yeah. after, after the Gender Recognition Act. That suddenly this trans panic has become um, a, a, an issue for politicians. It's 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 unbelievable. I, yeah. I never would have thought. I would have expected from the small. Um, special interest gender critical groups because they've always yeah. been hated us but the, the idea that it would translate to mainstream politics is um, absolute madness it's it's alice in wonderland time yeah yep. and, and terrifying because the problem is that these people have power and they can take it away from us i don't think we're going to let them though I'm like, oh, you watch. <laughs> I'm not going to let them do anything. Put, put it this way. Put it this way. It doesn't really matter what laws they put in. I won't be obeying them. Yeah. Um, I, I have basically been living a normal life for um, over 30 years, and I'm not about to go back to some kind of um, ridiculous no. existence where I have to show papers like like in like in Germany or something. I'm not I'm not doing it. Yeah, so they can they can have all the things in place that they want. Oh yes, we're destroying gender neutral toilets and we're not permitting this and we're going to. So are you going to have two toilets in every house? Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and trains. Yeah, uh, and trains yeah, and trains and hotels, and um, it's it it's Alice in Wonderland. So stupid and. I am sort of ever hoping forward that we do get Scottish independence next year. It's critical now. Yeah, because I think we, we really do need to get away from well, Westminster. Well, Scotland is going to um, amend the gender the Scottish Gender Recognition Act uh, later this year. That's that's in its plan policy. They say something like September, October, towards the end of the year, and that will establish a precedent that self-ID, like Ireland and many, many, many other countries around the world will be part of the Scottish Gender Recognition Act. England are trying to stop it with every measure that they possibly can. They won't be able to because it's called devolved government. Yes. You can't, you can't have a devolved government and then step in and say, ah, no, you're not allowed to do that. That's <laughs> actually not how it works <laughs> because it would essentially break the rule of devolution. It doesn't matter what law it is. Mm. If, if they step in to try and overrule the Scottish government, it breaks devolution and will cause a civil war. Yeah. So it's up to them if they want that. But um, I don't think they'd be as stupid. I think it's posturing. Yeah. So, it's, so Scotland's going to do it. That will create the essential precedent. And also, maybe at some point, England will follow. But I don't think England will follow so long as there's a Conservative Party in yeah. 
yeah, which it's it's time we we need to go back to. I think Nicola Sturgeon should be Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. Oh, she's she's very very popular, um, except amongst unionists. Do you know? Uh, do you know what? Right, I I'm very first to admit I think she's got her flaws. I think mm. she's done things like wrong. Oh yes. But I think she also admits those flaws, and she I, I feel like she's one of the first politicians that isn't trying to become a celebrity. I don't know. I think every politician loves the celebrity part. And yeah. it's, it's, it's kind of inevitable because they're able to use it for, for the reasons that they want, for their, for their own ideas. I think the difference is that um, Nicola Sturgeon does seem to have a significant surfeit of, of honesty, which is um, sorely lacking in, mm. in politics in general. I mean, I always say to people, it's, it, it's very strange that we've got 15 years down the road from a point in this country, and I mean United Kingdom, mm. where we had sustained growth, low waiting lists, a robust welfare state, um, an education system the world was proud of, and we somehow, purely precipitated by the banking crash of 2008, that the whole country lurched to the right and then proceeded upon a route of absolute self-destruction. And yet, let's say 2005, we were doing incredibly well. And yeah. the problem is, is that because of ideology, we're not allowed to think about 2005. Oh, no, 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 no. That was Labour. It was all terrible then. No, actually, it was the best point in British existence since the 60s. Yeah. Um, statistically, socially, it was, a, it was a real high point um, in British life. And it's, uh, it's tragic. It means we've got to come out the... Uh, on the barricades and fight all over again. And I'm it so means tired. I'm that so tired. everybody has to go and vote. Everybody has to go and use their right to yes. vote and yes. think about it carefully. I'm not going to tell you who to vote for, apart from don't no. vote for the Conservatives. <laughs> um, but think about it carefully. Actually read the manifestos and figure out what everybody's doing. But that's enough on politics because I feel like we, we'd talk for hours. We should, we should move on. <laughs> yes, it, it, it is what it is. You know, but when you look at elections and there's, there's only, you know, 50, 60% turnout for them. And the problem is, is I mean, Brexit only had like something like a 40% turnout in some places. So you're talking about, you're talking about a minority of people Making who the are going out the majority. and voting. And, and the silent majority are the ones who have just not voted. And I'm, it may be controversial, but I quite like the Australian system where actually um, citizenship depends upon your vote. So um, compulsory voting yeah. is in place. And I do believe that if you want to take part in a society uh, and um, reap the rewards of that and the benefits thereof, then I believe that it should be compulsory for you to vote. Mm. It's It just seems weird that such a large number of people in this country can just go, uh, they're all the same, it doesn't matter. Uh, and mm. it absolutely does because then it's a minority of the country that vote and then it's a minority of a minority that put the people in power and then everyone else goes hang on a minute it's like, well <laughs> yes you didn't vote yeah. that's why <laughs> it's like the amount of friends that i've got that talk about the eu and i'm like oh yeah how did you vote and they go oh, well i didn't and i go well shut up and and if they'd voted it might not have been 52 percent. it might have been 
it's from 48%, it yeah. might have been 65%. In, Don't, in, in, I'm, in, I'm not that popular. Don't worry. <laughs> anyway, let's, let's, yes, let's so, move on from the world of politics. You are, an, you are an alumni of the Manchester School of Theatre. I am. And one of my favourite things that I like to ask everybody that comes on the show, because these things are just my favourite <laughs> in general, do you have any crazy or funny drama school stories? <gasps> oh, God, I think we all do, don't we? There's so much shit that goes down oh, in those rooms. God, uh, it's well. It'd be very easy to create a sitcom about drama school. I feel. If it, I, I really think so because the, the nature of its tuition is fairly universal, especially if it's um if it's a Stanislavski based school. Yeah, because um, we've all done the same classes. We've all, we've all done, done the, the same, same exercises, kind of classes, which are which are initially about breaking you down, and then building you back up and. Some people don't survive it. Some people drop out because it's it's um hello. <laughs> hi, yes. Drama school dropout. It, it's it's literally um it's horribly painful. Yeah. And second anyone will tell you second year is hell. Um it is first year is quite pleasant, second year is hell, and third year is actually what you went to drama school for to do productions. Um I'll be, okay, so I had a very different position. I came in as a very mature student. So, I mean, I say very mature. I was 36, you know, in, in, yeah. in, in the wild scheme of things, <laughs> that's nothing. But at the time, I was obviously the oldest person in the class. Now, the reason I went to drama school is because I got involved with Coronation Street. Yeah. Got involved with the actors and they said, you know, you ever thought of acting? And I, well, yes, I, I was intending to go to drama school, but poor person couldn't go. And so Manchester which I'd moved to, has two drama schools. And I went, wow. So I thought, well, do you know something? Maybe this is time for a change of career, life, whatever. And obviously it is dependent on getting a place and there's no guarantee of that. Um, I think in most drama schools, there's about 1,500 applicants in only 30 places. So If you're lucky. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. And I didn't get in on the first time in 2000 and it was 2001, I, I won a place and I was like, wow, <laughs> yay. And yeah, it, to me, at the age of 36, it was something I absolutely desperately wanted to do. So I was a bit of the SWAT. I was the note taker and the the kind of the one sitting, listening to the um, the words of my sage master, rather than the younger 18-year-olds who were kind of going, oh, I can't be bothered with it. Yeah. And, you know, you made me get up at eight o'clock in the morning. So it's like, well, it's um, really funny because I was considered a mature student this year, which is really uh, weird considering I'm. 23 funny that isn't it yeah it's because i'm not of normal entry age you're not 18 so and yeah. that's it most of the people in the class were 18 but there was a smattering of people yeah, um, yeah. i think there was 21 25 uh i think the oldest uh, was 28 uh, next to me then i was 36 yeah. so of course i got all the mum and auntie roles didn't i <laughs> so we was... had um this year we had a, a, a lady in sarah gudgeon she was in her 50s and came back to do it that's wonderful. Yeah. Isn't that great that someone has actually gone, no, there is no... And the thing is, the career is such that there isn't an age gap on it. Mm. It's the only career that you can actually take up later in life and work until you die. Because yeah. there's no such thing as retirement in acting unless you want to retire. You can work until you're unable to work anymore. It's that kind of unique um, career. And I always said to myself when I was working in computers and AV and that was my thing in the 80s and 90s, um, 
I always thought, well, maybe maybe acting will be my retirement. Maybe it'll be something I go into when I'm 60 years old and, and I'll have 10 years of it and that'll be fun. But, uh, but I went into drama school, as I say, and, and I, I, I think, the, you see, it's difficult because I have, two, I have two faces in drama school. I did. My first face was the, was the acting student who was kind of keen and all that kind of The other one was um, technical assistant because I didn't want to, like most of them, work in a bar to, to bolster finances. Yeah. And what I did was I very quickly, I went to Mark, um, who was the production manager for the school. And I said, um, do you ever need freelance people to kind of like do tech and that? And he said, well, occasionally we do. And I said, well, would you consider me, please? And he was like, what, what um, really? And I said, yes, I'm an experienced AV theater technician. Really? And I said, yes, yes, I am, yes. So um, so I was, I was like rigging lighting and sound and stuff for the productions yeah. not the ones I was in I have to say I wasn't allowed to because it was like you're not getting to do that but what it did was it um the money I made from that really really helped yeah. so I was part-time technician in the radio studio and stuff like that um and also um acting student there is so many funny things that happen at drama school um you know uh, the the ridiculous things that you do in movement class the ridiculous noises that you make <laughs> in voice class yeah uh phonetics all that stuff all it and it, it by its nature it's, it's an extraordinarily physical thing people think that you sit and read shakespeare all day as you, yeah. you, you don't it's a it, it's largely a physical training academy and um sit and read like, shakespeare all night but not all day no 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 all day all day it's run around, run around, okay, move, okay, now, and uh, transfer the energy, and it's yeah. all that kind of stuff. Um, the funniest thing at drama school, really, for me, was dealing with incoming professionals who came in and talked to everyone as if they were 18, 19 years old, and I found that really, really awkward. So, for example, when you're in a drama school, um, if, you, if it's a, a drama school with a degree, which most of them are now, they have a thing called contextual studies, which is when you have to do um, examination of media. So you kind of take a bit of media studies and stuff, and that's thrown into the mix. And I always thought this is absolute wank. Yeah, a lot of drama school was really important for me because it, it freed me up a lot. Yeah, Because um, being trans, I had put a lot of um barriers up as a protection for myself mm. and a lot of them had to come down so yeah. in, in that respect it definitely made me a better actor by being at drama school and telling me um about all the stuff that was going on i was completely stealth in drama school the teachers knew because it's kind of inevitable they have all the records yeah. um but to my classmates and everything, it was I was completely stealth. I was not out at all. And that's the way I wanted it. Um, and to be honest, to their credit, the teachers never treated me any differently. And that's a good thing. So but it should be a normal thing. It should be a normal thing. And, you know, we're, we're talking about 2002, 2001, um, when the concept of trans was quite, I'm not going to use the word alien, but um, unusual. Yeah. And so, you know, I was I was out there trailblazing in that, you know, I'm certainly not the first trans person to go to drama school by any stretch of the imagination, but possibly the first at Manchester. And um, and they handled it really well. The the, the most oh, how can I put it? How can I put it? The, I was not the kind of person that was going to treat someone coming in as being a guru. 
Yeah. Um, I was kind of like, if someone who essentially was maybe close to my age or slightly older was talking crap, I was not going to just sit and listen to it. I was going to challenge it. And that came, that went down like a lead brick. And I, I said, look, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm nearly 40 years old. You can't, you can't try and tell me this, which is crap, when I know that the truth is that. And, and actually, you shouldn't be telling the kids that. A few essays had to go through a certain lecturer who patronized me like you wouldn't believe to the point that I had to go up to his office and had a stand-up row with him and just went, you, you, you are basically judging me like some kind of child and my opinion is important. You may say that my opinion is not, but you are yeah. totally wrong. And maybe some of the young people need a bit of a push-up like that. I do not. I'm a writer and a performer and a director and I've come to drama school for my training. And right now, the last thing I need is a lecturer who does not put into practice the stuff that I do, telling me that I'm naive. That was an absolute insult in one particular essay that I had to do. Um, and there the was exact many... same happened to me. Yeah, I incredible. didn't fight it. I just let it break me. Well, isn't that a shame, though? Yeah. Because you're not the only person that I've heard has literally been broken by drama school, several, several people in my year. And it's such a shame because there's some people who thrive in the environment. I wouldn't say I thrived. I say I got through it and mm. I came out the other side with a, a fairly healthy 2-1, which I was fairly happy with. Um, the only person who did get her first got a lot of um, um, assistance, shall we say, Although lovely person, um, still very good friends, but they kind of chose their favorites. Yeah. And that's, I think that's unique to every drama school. Um, they choose their favorites. Yeah. And then, and then they give the favorites the best stuff and they let them off with murder. And it's appalling. Yeah. But I am. Um... not see any difference for it. And, and just one last thing. It's all good. Um, People would rather listen to you than me anyway. <laughs> drama schools, well, it's it's kind of changing now, but drama schools at the time were um, incredibly white. Um, we had um, we had two people of colour in our class. Uh, the year below us had about six, which was a, a slightly better. Um, but there has been massive scandals in um, yeah. ARA, Lambda, RADA about about uh, representation and also the patronization of representation. So um, that part of it was just an inevitable part of the school. I tried, uh, I tried not to put up with it, mm. but the problem is, is that that ends up marking you as the opposite, as a troublemaker. I can't say that I received any particular punishments for it, but I did, I did, <laughs> I did once stand up to a, um, Royal Opera House Russian director of some acclaim because she she tried to make me research in her way so it's like I want you to research the play by doing this and this and this and I was like that's not how I would research a play yeah um, and I was like okay so the the others they went off and did what they were told only they kind of didn't they kind of just went I'm not doing this. And me, I went off and did research properly. I'd studied history. I did all kinds of stuff the way that I normally do. 
And then when she found out that I hadn't done things exactly the way she wanted to, she tried to humiliate me in front of the class. Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, Annie, what a shame for you that you thought you knew better than me. Oh, I hate people. You can imagine how that went down. <laughs> yeah. So, so my first time at drama school, I went in, I, I was 2019, so I was 19. I was full of, like, I was ready to take on the world. Mm. And there was this one particular lecturer who just took a disliking to me almost sort of instantly. I never I never knew why, and nor do I care now to know why. I, no. I don't care anymore. And I remember just, like, same sort of thing, like, just humiliation tactics of every time I put my hand up to ask a question, everybody stop, Ingram has to speak. Um, that sort of thing. Five minutes before my final exam, before I dropped out, performance exam, she walked up to me and said, after today, I think you should maybe think about another career because this isn't working oh. for you. And I sort of walked in the day after the Christmas holidays and I said, I joke a lot about having mental breakdowns. I think I'm having one. I'm out. I'm done. And I left. And I was so broken at that point. I came home and said to my mom, like, I don't know what I'm going to do now because I don't want to be an actor anymore. I don't, I don't want to be part of this industry. Yeah. And I say this a lot and I say it with a whole heart that I know what devastation COVID caused. Okay. I'm very thankful for COVID. It, I, I'll never not be aware of what lives it took, but it gave me mine back. Mm-hmm. Because in this industry or in this world, you're not allowed to sit and say, hey, I don't know what I'm doing right now. I'm going to just sit for 10 minutes and figure it out. Oh, no, no, it's constantly proactive, proactive, work, 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 apply, 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 audition, yeah. audition, audition. And yeah. I didn't know what I was doing and was struggling under the pressure of, well, what are you going to do now that you've dropped out of uni? Don't you think it's that they try and push people into academia just a little bit too quickly as being the be all and end all? Yeah. Well, it wasn't even that. It was like my parents being like, well, what are you going to do now as a job? What are you going to do? When are you going to go out and get a job? And Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I was so thankful that COVID hit because I could figure out my issues. Yes. And I say this and I never want anyone to take me the wrong way. I'm so hyper aware of the devastation that the pandemic caused. Okay. And I'll I'll never not be aware of that. But personally, was the best thing that ever happened to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's it's weird to reflect on it that way. No, what it did was it gave you breathing time to think yeah. about your life. Because not everything um, goes... Um, step one, step two, step three, step four. Certainly from my point of view, my entire life has been step one, step two, go back to step one, step three, step four, go back to step two. Have a bit of step 80. I have always had absolute diversions in my timeline. I have never been able to follow a single timeline, largely because of financial reasons, also because of just people getting in the way of my life in terms of, um, having control and the problem is that as human beings unless you have a lot of money you don't have a significant amount of control over your life because you have to do what you have to do to survive yeah. and I came from a fairly poor family and I was fairly poor most of my in fact 99% of my life and so life was a struggle struggle to pay rent struggle to hide from bailiffs and decisions like that stopped me from being an actor much earlier i had to pay the rent the 
the the people who who are able who are free to do all the auditions and everything like that are people who are independently wealthy they have parental money which is very much uh yeah. in every drama school you can see the people who have whose parents have got money and therefore you think you're going to be fine. You're going to be absolutely fine. You're going to have times when it's two years between jobs and you'll find something to do. Mm-hmm. You'll you'll open a craft workshop for a couple of years and then you'll go back. You'll do what you can do. The rest of us, it's like, right, I've got to get a job now. And then the job takes you out of the arts sphere yeah, because you're having to concentrate on that all the time. So therefore, your, your acting career gets put on the shelf. For me, in the um, 2000s, I straight after drama school, I discovered that, well, I didn't get an agent like so many of us who graduated from drama school. And without an agent, you don't get on that gravy train. Mm. Now, the gravy train is... Even sometimes with an agent, you don't get on the gravy train. No, that's very true because it depends. But the thing is, if I, I'm, I'm always... I, when I hear actors going, oh, it's just audition after audition and I get so much disappointment and I'm going, hey, I had one audition last year. Yeah. So shut the fuck up. Yeah, no, <laughs> it is. Bit... It's like I'd kill to be in that room. It's literally absolutely crazy. I get the disappointment and I get that, but they have been seen by so many casting people in a way that I simply wasn't getting at all. Yeah. Now, obviously, part of me was thinking, oh, wouldn't it be great to work on Coronation Street? Coronation Street wouldn't have touched me with a barge pole. Uh, They still won't. And it's because of my connection to Hayley Cropper. It would be too weird. It would be suddenly the press would latch onto that and it wouldn't be about the character I'd be playing in the show. It would be, oh, someone has just joined Coronation Street and they used to be involved with Hayley Cropper. And that would divert from the story and the thing that they're trying to do. And I completely mm. get it. It frustrates me because I'd love to go into Corey, but it won't happen because of my we'll never say never. I did that thing. Well, maybe when I'm old and grey. Uh, but that that's kind of... It doesn't matter how good an actor you are. You have to fit um, historically, look-wise, accent. There's so many things that can stop me getting a job. I was told um, when I graduated from drama school by the casting director of the Royal Exchange Theatre in Manchester, uh, Annie, I think think you're a great actress and your characterisation is fantastic, but I don't think you're going to work until you're 50 years old. And I was 39 at the time. And I went, what? (laughs) What? Say that again? Yeah, that you're not going to work till you're fifth. And I was absolutely crestfallen. Yeah. And I just thought, what the hell am I going to do now? And right enough, didn't get an agent. Um, Literally, I would say only a quarter of the class got agents. The rest of us were cast adrift. So there was only one of mine that got, there was only one in my class that got an agent. One. It's crazy, isn't it? So I was the the minority. (laughs) (laughs) but i i also will say that i was the only one that actively emailed a lot of agents and i remember i signed with my agent two days before my final show and i we'd obviously had the conversation of being like can we invite agents to our show and then i signed and i remember walking into the show on the first day into the theater on getting day and they were like so how many agents did you invite to the show ingram and i was like i signed i haven't invited anyone Mm-hmm. And they were like, well, we haven't invited anyone because we thought you were doing it. And I was like, well, oh, God. that is nothing, but you're only... So I'm, I I think I was the only one that was actively searching for an agent because it was my only goal. 
I didn't care whether I got a degree. I just wanted to leave drama school with an agent. Yeah, yeah. To to be honest, that that was what I wanted as well. The degree to me was very um, by the by. Admittedly, I look back at it now and I'm, I'm really proud of the degree because... I'm the only member of my family to ever go to university. So mm-hmm. I'm kind of flying the flag in that respect. And I, you know, I, I have a diploma. I have a, a Bachelor of Arts. I'm really yeah. quite proud of that. I, I put it on the wall because I'm <laughs> proud of it. Um, but it has absolutely no relationship to my acting career no. whatsoever. The, the break came in uh, 2010, 2011, sorry, when uh, a friend of mine was working on Shameless. One of my favourite TV shows of all yeah. time. So um, so one of my friends was producer at the time and my other friend was producer's assistant and they both knew me. And this role came up and they contacted me and says, look, there's this role and we immediately thought of you. And I was like, yes! I was like, yay! Went, okay, so but we'll, we'll have to go through the normal process. So um, you go to the casting director and audition and stuff. Yeah, that's fine, no problem. So... Um, I did that. Uh, casting director said, uh, between us, we really want you for this role. I went, thank you. Very nice. But we'll get back to you in a few days. A few days later, I got the ring story. I went, really? I said, yeah, we really wanted you. But the system here is that all castings have to be authorised and signed off by Channel 4 in London. And they were not happy at bringing in someone for a major guest role, one episode get for a major one episode guest role who had never done any television before. And I said, even though the casting director wanted to cast me, yeah, yeah, they just didn't have, they didn't, they weren't happy with that. So they've gone with uh, Rosie Cavaliero instead. Yes, of course. Rosie Cavaliero was a wonderful actress and she gets everything. <laughs> so, and I was so disappointed because it was a great role. It's a bit slightly unhinged, but a great role. And I just walked away from that going, my God, if the casting director wants you and the business doesn't, that's exact. That's just acting in a nutshell for you. Yeah. If your face fit. Doesn't matter about your skill. So two weeks later, I got another call from the same casting director going, Annie, there's another role that's come up. And I actually said to him, is it worth me coming in? I says, because if we get Channel 4 rejecting me again, I can't handle that. Mm. No, 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 no. This is, this is a slightly smaller role, but we think it's got a good impact and we think you'd be great in it. And I went, okay, I'll come in. I'll do it. Yeah, yeah, great, wonderful. So I did. Did it. It was a little bit ruder. I had to do rude things with Frank Gallagher. You're not the first person on the podcast that's had to do first rude things with Frank Gallagher. No, I think it's a, a rite of passage. You have to do rude things with Frank Gallagher. I love David Threlfall. Yeah, he's he was great, except for the fact he was really, really full of the cold when I met him. Fun. It was just not 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 a well man. <laughs> so anyway, did the audition and uh, I got the part. I was like, oh, rah, I've got my first television role at last. And I spent three days... Um, a studio on an industrial estate 10 minute drive from my house and it was absolutely wonderful and it just clinched to me it was like yeah this is what I want to do I want to do television more than theatre by yeah. country mile it's more my thing so um enjoyed it it was great it went out it got a lot of attention <laughs> uh yeah and it finally got me an agent at long last. So once I got the agent, then the auditions started to come in 
Um, so I got a couple of things, a couple of fringe things. Didn't get anything really major. And then, it's major though that you managed to get a, a prime time TV gig like Shameless without an agent. It's pretty yes. unheard of. It was, but then again, it's because a friend of mine was yeah. working in the production office who who thought of me. Yeah, and but still, sometimes that's they're quite like rare. I've got friends that work on TV shows, and they were like back in the day before I had an agent. They're like, "You're you're unsigned." Yeah, well, exactly. But they were willing to do it. Yeah, and I think <laughs> you have better friends than mine. <laughs> I, th- I think <laughs> I think I just had a bit of luck that someone was willing to take the chance, mm-hmm. and I I think also my friends had seen how hungry I was and how desperate yeah. and the problem is that there's nothing that casting people hate more than desperation mm-hmm. it's really frustrating the more the more please 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 the less yeah. likely you are to get a job which is kind of perverse but we're going to play a game now and this game okay. is my favorite thing in the world it's called <laughs> stage right or stage shite and it's three stories. Two of them are the whole truth and nothing but the truth and have been sent in by our listeners. And one of them is a big fat lie that has been made up by our producer, Hev. And I've got that answer in a sealed envelope because I only do this game if I can play it because it's one of my favourite things in the world. So we have to figure out which one is stage shite. Two truths and a lie with a bit of a cheeky rebrand. Sounds good. Number one. I used to work part-time as front-of-house team in the West End. One day, a woman came up to me after the show because she wanted to put in a complaint. Her complaint that was was that Elton John had not performed any of his songs in The Lion King on the West End like he had in the film. Number two, a lady walked out halfway through the first act of, I'm hoping I'm going to say this correct, Madame de Sade, with Judy Dench demanding a refund. She thought she'd bought tickets for Madame Two Swords. Number three, there was a dildo involved in a fringe show that I was in and the dildo had a suction cup base. I accidentally dropped said dildo. How many times are they going to say dildo in this sentence? <laughs> and it and the suction cup base decided to stick to the floor. It was very awkward for a moment as I tried to get a nine inch dildo unstuck from the stage. Right. I think all of them are true. <laughs> Do you know what? Um... Mm. The first one is okay. First one, definitely true. Yeah, somebody definitely thought true. Elton That's John was exactly in the West exactly End. Exactly what they're gonna think. Um, the second one, it's it seems incredibly unlikely because a theatre show is very different from uh, yeah. an exhibition. I would say that that's probably the least likely one. I think I think the third one, whilst possibly true, is possibly exaggerated. Mm. because and you're gonna love me for this because even though a dildo had a suction cup base the center of gravity would not allow it to stick perfectly and therefore it would by necessity fall over there you go there's a scientific way of putting it so i think perhaps the third one i would say first one true second one not true third one true but exaggerated do you know what what I'm going to go with you then, because science, <laughs> I mean... You've got to think about the, um, the centre of gravity. If, so if, if something falls like that, it's going to fall over. Yeah. Even, yeah, though, no. even though it's got a sucker in the bottle. Okay, never mind. Mm. Let's, let's move on. <laughs> Number three. Number three is the, the, the lie. lie. So oh. fa- facts, facts were correct. 
Okay, so it was it was so was Heather halfway um, there. Next time, please make sure that the lie doesn't involve scientific facts that can be <laughs> unproven in a matter of seconds. <laughs> I just I just couldn't see scientifically it yeah. and standing up. But uh, but the second one was that's interesting that someone actually did yeah. that. But people are stupid. What can you do? Oh yeah. It seems how, how on earth could you could you do that? I love it though. But but I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but why would you complain about seeing Judy Dench? I know. You got a Instead ticket. Instead of see wanting Judy Dench. to see Matt, what you wanted to the waxwork of Judy Dench instead of the real one. I would die to see Judy Dench live on stage. That would be the best mistake of my life. I would be like, That's oh my like God, bonus. we're going to see Madame Tussauds, but now yeah, we're can seeing you imagine an it? actual like, I Madame. I wouldn't be complaining. I'd be going, thank you. Thank you so much. I thought I was going to see a little waxworks, which I can Your see Your website anytime. is so misleading, but I'm so thankful. I love it. I love it. I've seen Dave Judy. <laughs> <laughs> a question. That's the other people for you. Yeah. A question that I love to ask everyone yeah. is, if you were doing a two-hander in the West End and the casting director comes and says to you, listen, we've got as much money as we possibly need. Who do you want to be your co-star? They have to be alive. Oh goodness, a two-hander. You see, I hate questions where the uh the the the, the answer is so in, incredibly vast choice because it's impossible because then you end up analyzing all the reasons why you would <laughs> want to work with someone. Oh goodness me. I'll carry on my campaign that is 90 odd weeks long. Catherine Tate, please do a two-hander with me in the West End. Oh, do you know what? Just come on the podcast. Really? Yes. Yeah, that would be good. Yes. One of my um, heroes. I'd love to do something with Peter Capaldi. Yeah. I think me and Peter Capaldi, well, you see, he's not much older than me. And um, we had a, I'm not going to go into it because we've not got the time, but um, I met him in the 90s at a, at a kind of corporate event that I was doing. And, and we got chatting because he was an up-and-coming actor at the time he wasn't by any stretch of the imagination mm. fabulous and then uh, and then I, I bumped into him again at the Scottish BAFTAs in 2016 because he was nominated for best actor and didn't get it and I was nominated best actress and didn't get it so as as he said when we were in conversation Annie we're both losers <laughs> <laughs> and I said I said trust me Peter you're not a loser <laughs> yeah. and then I told him about the story and he goes I have no memory of that at all and I goes I only remember it because um when I saw you in thick of it and I'm like that's the guy I I, I met once back then and of course you became Doctor Who and he was Doctor Who still at the time yeah um lovely guy we chatted for a while at the, the BAFTAs and stuff so I'd, I'd love to work with him because he's got such energy I love working with actors that are just brimming with energy because it mm. it totally energizes you as an actor. You completely yeah. pick up on it. Instead um, but, of Maureen, how are you doing today? How are you doing I'm today? fine. Yes, the actors that kind of oh or actor my 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 absolute hate, which is actors that don't know how to finish a sentence. <sighs> People who ask, but what time is just just finish the sentence. Yeah. Please finish the sentence. <laughs> and, I'm a bit like that. So another thing that I hate, and it's I, I'm also really bad for doing it when I write, is that when the playwright or the writer doesn't finish the sentence, oh, you need to decide what ellipses. happens at the end of that sentence. 
Do you know what? I I had a whole scene in Hollyoaks about a year ago where um, I had to go, I remember it as if, and then, and then he came to, but I, I, I couldn't look away. And, and then I literally had about eight ellipses, one after the other. And I'm like, what are you doing to me? What am I doing? And also in soap, they never write in goodbye or hello. Yeah. Ever. And I hate it. And I buck the trend because I say, I'm not just walking out the door. I'm going to say something. And they're like, oh, okay, okay. And sometimes they leave it in and sometimes they cut it. But it's this notion that you never say goodbye to people. You just go, I'll have my last revenge upon you. Turn around and walk out. Yeah. Or you go, um, right, okay. Uh, well, tomorrow we'll sort this out at the school. Okay. Yeah. No, you go, right, I'll see you later. That's my, yeah. I, it, it, I, I have. Mad. I have to say my goodbyes and hellos or highs or something because it's it's naturalized conversation. Yeah. We are not in soap. Um, Brecht. <laughs> <laughs> I am bad for it during writing. Like I'll be like, oh, let's just not let them finish the sentence. But as a director, I always say to people, what are you going to do if she doesn't overcut that line? Because that's what the ellipsis is there for when I write anywhere that the person will overcut the line. And I'm like, what are you going to do if she doesn't? Because you don't actually know what sentence you're saying. Do you know what's really handy for writers is if they, they, they say, um, so let's say, it's, it's say, let's say that the sentence would be, um, but I saw you at the cinema that day because ellipsis. Mm. And then somebody interrupts. No, you didn't. Okay. Now what's handy as an actor is if the line that gets cut off is put in brackets. Yeah. So I know you at the cinema that day because I saw your car parked outside because what can happen then is, is then it can be cut and edit. And that way you get your dot, dot, dot and you get your interruption, but you don't have to, but some actors find it hard. Some will literally go because, and they'll wait to be interrupted and it gets a little bit, yeah, but especially on stage, I always say to people, like, and I use it myself, that just in case they don't interrupt me, I should probably know what I'm going to just say. Yes. Even if I've got to make it up and it's not there, I should Absolutely. just know and I should just let them interrupt me. Yes. And they should, it's not my job for them to do the interruption. Well, that's when improv comes in as well. A lot of yeah. it can be that. Um, it, it's so long as it's improv that makes sense. Certainly, yeah. theatre is is that. Television is very different because you obviously, in, in a wide shot, the person has to interrupt you at the appropriate time. But yeah. when it's when it's um, individual coverage over shoulders and things, that can be done in edit. Yeah. So a, an interruption can be blah 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 blah. Oh no, you didn't. Kind of thing. That's that's a different world. Theatre interruptions the skill of interruption is definitely a uh it, it's a fair one but like but, you see not a lot of people have well it's, it's something you have to develop <laughs> i think they don't teach it in drama school do they uh, no <laughs> <laughs> unless it's the lecturer over uh, interrupting you to tell you you're shite absolutely um, yes it's nonsense but we're coming to the end of the podcast now and we haven't even gotten to talk about hollyoaks but i'm aware we're running out of time and we're still at hollyoaks oh, we're not moving on so we are, we're coming back and we'll yes. we'll do a part two when you leave because I feel like everybody tells the best stories after they've left a show. Ooh, 
well, yes. But so we, much you can't see. Yeah, <laughs> you need to keep your job. Um, yeah. But but we have a new closing tradition on Drama School Dropout, which I've only recently done, and I still feel the need to say that I thought of this myself and then listened to Diary of a CEO by Stephen Bartlett and realised that he also does the same. So I didn't copy. Great minds just think alike. Okay. So I ask every guest to leave a question for the next guest they don't know who they're asking and they don't know who it is and I don't know who it is half the time but the question that has been assigned to you is how do you keep your soul connected to the source material a deep and intimate knowledge of the character her motivations and more importantly her habits it's a good answer I'm quite meticulous about Sally in terms of they sometimes turn up with a piece of jewellery or a piece of clothing or a line that Sally absolutely either wouldn't say wouldn't wear Yeah, and I, I reckon that after I'd been playing her a year I kind of got it and I was like I know this character intimately I've thought a lot about her I, I understand where she comes from I'm very good with uh, historical research when I got the job at Hollyoaks I made and printed out a McQueen family tree and I put it on the wall of my bedroom now the McQueen family tree is about this long because there's multiple cousins, grandmas um, stepbrothers children, uh, children. It's so just, many it's literally it's, have you added to it since more McQueens have came on no, I don't need to add to it because I needed it initially so that yeah. I knew whose father was which. And because um the McQueen kids, most of them have different fathers. And it was like, where does that come in? Where does this come in? And um I need I just needed some kind of a notion of how everyone interrelated. And it really did help. Mm. It helped in terms of how I reacted to people, certainly how I reacted to the other kids in the McQueen family, you know, um, the other um, younger members, just because I needed to know, right, how would I talk to that person as an adult? Would I talk to them because I'm a close relation or because I'm actually just um, a visitor? Because mm. that would be two very different ways of talking to people. Yeah. So from that point of view, the the nature of knowing knowing the way that she would interact with people is essential to me and to the embodiment of the character so that's that's really the answer that i would have to that and what question would you like to leave for our next guest oh that's an interesting one that's an interesting i one. mean some of them are funny some of them I, I think i just had a particularly serious guest on that day okay um I'm I'm very weird. This isn't the first time that I've said it on this podcast. Um, I'm not a music person at all. I don't listen to music. It's not weird. It's just individual. No, you? people do get. I like it because I don't ever like in a car. I don't listen to music when I'm yeah, cleaning. I don't. I I put <laughs> podcasts on. I am have totally and utterly and immersed myself in the world of podcasts. That's fine because and people have said to me, "Oh, Annie, oh, you've got such you've got such history and all, all this stuff. You should really do a podcast." And I go, what would I talk about? Would I talk about the same story that I've told everyone again and again and again? I, I don't need to do a podcast. 
just, please don't do one in the acting industry like, because you'll get more listens than me no i'm not interested <laughs> I'm, listen i'm really happy to guest on podcasts and talk about stuff that i've done but um i i think you have to have a as you have to be driven to communicate something i'm just nosy and, good i'm not you see see that's what it I'm is just, like i, I just, just want to like, know what people are doing <laughs> <laughs> and also it is a big thrill that I get to speak to people who I admire and have looked yes. up to in years. I remember going way back to the beginning, Susan Nixon, right? She wrote two pints of lager and a packet of crisps. Oh, right. Yes. Okay. And one of my heroes and I, I got her just on an off chance. The story is mental. Um, and that will just be a highlight of my life. And now She's a friend, which is mad. Funny that, isn't it? It yeah. does happen. It does happen. Sometimes you're not just the stalker. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm just like, I, I've just read for three days about your entire life. I promise. Um, I'm, it's fine. I currently it, may be the, the Annie Wallace expert. Yeah, the Annie Wallace <laughs> but, um, You know, the one thing about me is I don't, I, I, when I came out about this, I, like I say, I was, I was in stealth before I got the Hollyoaks job. Um, I, I didn't get the shame. The, the shameless job was a cisgendered role. Uh, and the Hollyoaks one was the first one where I knew I would have to come out of the closet and actually say, yeah, I've been trans yeah. for X many years. And I was ready to do it at the age of 50. So um, it was a good time to do it. Uh, and it's been quite liberating, I have to say. Although I do stand by the fact that I had to do it when I was younger because the legal rights weren't in place at that point. Yeah. And... Um, I think it's been inevitable that I was going to come out at some point, but coming out has allowed me to talk about things. And also I made it, I made a, a determined effort. I says, I'm never going to lie about my past. I'm never going to lie. So whatever is out there, you'll find it never contradicts each other. It's yeah. I, I have, I have one biography. I have one timeline and it all says the mm. same thing. So people I suppose can easily in order find to find out, out who you were, you had to find out like who you were before you let everybody else know. Yeah. I had to, I had to make sure that I was, safe i suppose because yeah. because like i say i was i was in my very early 20s when i started transition you know i i, I basically I 10 years school. ago 10 years ago i'm 57 folks um i wasn't putting that number i'd made a guess <laughs> earlier in the podcast I am. no no but uh, i didn't so, no it was, I, it, was, I was, ni- it was 1988 and i was 22 years old and that's when i started transition because i couldn't do i couldn't sit back and let my life continue the way it was anymore and that was a time when it was right in the middle of the hiv and aids crisis when every single queer person on the planet was being tarred as being yeah plague carrier obviously gay men were being demonized but trans people were being demonized as well although most trans people were kind of invisible at the time um and you just got on with what you had to do yeah so um it's interesting <laughs> If I could yeah. go back to my 22-year-old me and say, look what's going to happen to you in 30 <laughs> years' time, I would go, ah! <laughs> but uh, thank you so much. We've come to the end now. It's been such a privilege chatting to you, and I, I genuinely feel very lucky. So thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Pleasure, yes. Where can everyone find you on social media and keep up to date with what you're doing? Well, you you can find me on Twitter. I'm just not doing anything on Twitter at the moment. <laughs> uh, I've... I got to the point, I was quite an avid Twitter user because I, I quite like it as a platform for 
for a bit toxic, but social media justice of, of trying to fight the good fight and everything. The problem is that it does reach a critical mass at some point. I have now over 9,000 blocked accounts on mine because of the amount of abuse that I get as a I'm prominent sitting at 162. Yeah, 9,000. So it's it, it, for trans people, it's a very, very difficult time. It's difficult for everyone. Yeah. I think it's an extremely toxic place. But um, the last straw for me was when Maya Forstatter uh, got her judgment at the beginning of the week and she started to crow about it and go, ha-ha, I can tell all trans people to fuck off and you can't lock me up anymore. And I was like, I can't deal with this anymore. And it was actually the last straw of a lot of issues. And I thought, do you know what? My life is really good at the moment. I have got a lovely job. <laughs> Look at today. I've, I've got a, a lovely day off in beautiful weather. And I don't need people that I actually do not know in real life making my life more miserable. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, nothing that these horrible people say or do is going to impact me because even if it did, I would ignore them anyway. I've got a good life. This is what most trans people need to hang on to, is that your lives are valid and they're good and you must hold on to that. And the negativity on social media is exactly what they want. They want you to feel hopeless, yeah. and cornered and negative. And my way out of that was come off Twitter. And I did that a week ago and I feel so much better. Mm. Yeah, on Twitter, 100%. Twitter.com forward slash Annie Wallace. On Facebook, I am facebook.com forward slash Annie Wallace. On Instagram, I am instagram.com forward slash the Annie Wallace. I hate that. Mm. I had to go the, it makes me sound like a singular. I'm not, there's many other Annie Wallaces, but I just had to do that because someone else said that. I wanted um, just Ingram and it was gone and my dad won't give me it. Oh, <laughs> your dad. Yeah. <laughs> That's a bit annoying. Has the email, has the Twitter, has the Instagram, and doesn't use any of them and won't give me them. That's ridiculous. It was you like, see, I came before you. Oh. Well, see, I wouldn't I, take it now anyway because of the podcast and everything. No, been... Well, of course, it's it's a different, you've, you've forged a different path. I bought AnnieWallace.com back in 2001. Mm. So, of course, I was the first person to get it. I and own I'm... Ingram Noble and Ingram.com. I'm so glad that I've got it. Oh, I've obviously got Co UK as well. Yeah. Um, there is actually a, a musical theatre actress in Texas who I'm sure is incredibly annoyed that I got everything before she did. <laughs> <laughs> um, she's had to grab a few others like .biz and .org and stuff like that, and that's fine. Um, so, yeah, my website is annualist.com. That's more or less just kind of a placeholder with my biography, news of what I'm up to, but you can easily find me. If you Google me, I'm everywhere you're on cameo aren't you i am on cameo yes so I... go down click the link in the show notes and order a click cameo from order annie a cameo. i give good cameo have you watched the weirdest thing you've been asked to do because i know people that have been asked to like dump people for them no i've never had to do that but i did have to do um i had to read out exactly what was typed and it was it was a bit weird because I had to do it in character as well. So I want you to say as Sally this. And it was like a whole lot of stuff about someone not keeping up with their studies and that they wouldn't get cream cake or something. It was very odd. Sounds very fetishy that. I know it wasn't. It was it was clearly a parent doing it for the oh, child. Right. Do you know what I mean? So it was like, right, this is Sally Sinclair, headmistress here. Um, I just want you to know that there are no treats forthcoming unless you complete your GCSEs. And by the way, to a certain degree, 
after a certain grade. And it was just like, that's really strange. Yeah. I've had one, which was actually a sponsored cameo. It's the first one I've ever had to do, which is by a company. It was by the British Heart Foundation. And it was like an endorsement uh, video. And I was a bit like, well, if it was anyone but the British Heart Foundation, this would be feel weird because I don't mm. tend to like advertising stuff. But on the other hand, my mum was an NHS nurse for many, many years, and she was um, a pioneering um, theatre nurse uh, for heart transplants up in Aberdeen. She was present at the very first heart transplant in Aberdeen. Wow. So um, my, my, my family, although I've never been in the NHS myself, I have an NHS family, mm. so I feel very strongly about that. And I do, I do a lot of stuff in the NHS. Whenever they ask me, I drop everything because I love the NHS so much. Yeah. Um, and they also saved my life, of course. So... Mm. Uh, yeah, so that was that was the other one where I literally had to read a thing about um, statistics on heart disease and things like that. But most of them is, um, I believe you've got a birthday coming up, wonderful. And I've noticed that some cameos, some people give them about 20, 25 seconds. Oh, happy birthday, hope you're doing all right, blah, 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 bye. And people are paying money for this. So I do try to give them value. I try yeah. to give them at least a couple of minutes of waffle like i've only ever received one yeah from kim woodburn and it's my favorite christmas present i've ever received <laughs> she called me a chicken livered shit of course i loved I it yes yes of course she's made her you know what that i know she had a career before big brother but after big brother give her an entirely new audience incredibly different audience yeah. for her And she is unique. <gasps> apparently, they might be bringing Big Brother back. They are. I know I they are. ITV2, apparently. They phoned so, me three weeks ago. Yes. Because I was so, I was in the original lineup for the last ever series. Oh, I see. Right. And then I got cut, and they phoned me and offered me a place. Ah, good, good. And I said no. Oh, well, you know, there comes a point. It. I'm it's well not what I want to do anymore. Though. Yeah, celebrity, if you're going to pay me, it's not. it's not on my path anymore. And it's not I what think, I want to do. I think for me, you see, the thing the thing is with me, I'm sorry to waffle on about this. It's all um, good. The thing for me is I don't have what you would call a celebrity um, uh, career because I've not chosen that path. You yeah. know, some actors, they're kind of like, right, I'll do everything. I'll do. It's not never been my kind of thing. Mm. I, to me, it's, it's about the acting. It's about that's the job. And I have done a few things. I've done Pointless, Mastermind, but this is kind of like intelligent television. Isn't yeah. Yeah. What was your specialist subject on Mastermind? Um, Doctor Who, 1970 to 1980. Oh, yeah. I've never watched an episode of Doctor Who in my life. I'd have Quite been specific. well out. Yeah. So I did that. And then um, I did an episode of Pointless, which goes out, I think, later this year. It hasn't been transmitted yet. But I love doing things like that because mm. I'm a big quizzer, a big uh, pub quizzer. I'm I'd love to do The Chase. I'd love to do Who love Wants to, do to Be a Millionaire. Because I'm quite good the only thing i don't like about the chase is you really have to earn your money like you yes, have to you win it once and then you have to win it again it's yeah and and there's the chance you could lose so much mm. and i don't know if i like that format but i, I really want to do millionaire i the last time the person got to the million pound question and nobody ever believes me when i say this but i was actually <laughs> sat with a friend so i have yeah. proof i got every single question right it does happen i think a lot of people would say the same thing i mm. 
if I had been there now, I would have won 6,400, whatever. Mm. I'd have won that amount of money. And that's what makes people keep applying. Yeah. Um, obviously, it's different when you're sat there. It just depends on what questions you get. But I just have such a vast amount of absolute bullshit knowledge. Yeah, yeah, me For too. example, here's a fun fact. The old Fourth Road Bridge, and you will know this because you're Scottish, has enough steel wire on it to wrap around the world twice. I have heard that, yes. Mm. And did you know that they are developing a new kind of um, polymer-based paint, which means that it's not going to require as much painting as... You know how they say you never finish painting the fourth bridge? Yeah. Well, apparently, they're only going to have to go back to it once every five years. Oh, a piece of Because they do it once a year just now, don't they? They get from one end to the other and then yes. go right back to the other end. Well, the new development of paint is apparently going to last for years and years and years. So wow. I, I heard about that recently. and I was That like, man's not happy. He's just lost no. a job. What am I going to do for the next three years? Can they call me back? It's like, there's, a man, there's a man who literally just paints the forest. Bridge. Yeah, every day. Technology taking over our jobs. Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, thank you so much for coming yes. on. It's been such a privilege and I will let you get back to normal life. But thank you so thank much. Thank you. Well, thank you for asking me. Oh, it's been uh, a lot of fun. And there we have it, another episode of Drama School Dropout, episode 98 completed. Thank you so much to Annie for coming on the podcast. I'm genuinely so privileged and I feel so lucky to have been able to chat with you. It was so enlightening and interesting and I'm such a fan. I'm such a fan. Make sure to go over and follow Annie on all of the socials down in the show notes below. Go over and give me a follow while you're at it if you're feeling extra generous. We are so close to episode 100 right now. It's absolutely unbelievable and I just keep thinking back to when I first started this podcast and how how far it's come and it's really just like my absolute baby, my absolute pride and joy and I can't thank everyone and literally when I say everyone, I mean my friends, my family, you guys who listen, all of my guests and all of the people that work behind the scenes like agents, managers, publicists, everything like that. I can't thank everyone enough for the continued support that I've been shown a hundred episodes on nearly two years. It's, it's fucking mind blowing, but yeah thank you so much and remember if you're feeling extra generous please scroll down and leave a little rating and a review it helps us out so much you don't even know and it's so vital to independent podcasts so any podcast that you listen to please go and give them a rating and a review and if you have a story for stage right or stage shite please email us at dramaschooldropoutpod at gmail.com and if you're feeling like a proper drama school dropout you can now become an official one by signing up to our patreon on using the link in the show notes below i'll be back again next week with a brand spanking new episode we're at episode 99 the last ever two digit episode and then we are on to episode 100 back again same time same place next week 6 a.m every tuesday have a great week stay safe i love you drama school Graduation day for you, drama school dropout. Fucked your whole course, now try something new, drama school dropout.